0: But Matthew chapter 6, I'd like to read the remaining verses in this chapter, beginning in verse number 19. So I want you to look here, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. The Bible says, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is..." There will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things did the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I want you to notice that second to last verse that we read, verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Today, I'd like to talk with you for a few moments about making God a priority in your life. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this uh, opportunity to be able to gather together. I know there's a lot of concerns on people's hearts about various things, whether it be news-wise or just of their own personal lives, but I pray that you'd help us to put all those things aside for right now and may our attention be on the Word of God. Don't want attention on a preacher, but want it on the things of God, the Word of God. Help us to be still, to listen for that sweet Holy Spirit as He speaks. And Lord, however He speaks to us individually, may we be able to say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Help us to follow you in what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as a brief overview for this whole study that we've been doing, this particular series, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, verses, or chapter 5, 6, and 7. When we began this study, we began with the first several verses known as the Beatitudes, and that portion of Scripture actually gave us a picture or a description of those. Who were followers of Jesus Christ. But then he discussed that the influence that these ought to have, and that is they ought to be salt and light in this world. Well, when we come to the next major section, which we just had just finished from chapter 5, verse 17, all the way to chapter 6, verse 18, it really can be split into two parts. The first section dealt with our relationship with others in regards to the law. In fact, what was our relationship with people in regards to, did we hate them or did we love them? Would we forgive them or would we stand in a place of unforgiveness? But then the next section leading up to chapter 6 verse 18, we dealt with the section of our relationship to God. We talked about our service to God. What was our service like when it comes to fasting and prayer and giving of the needs to help out other people? Are we doing it for others or are we doing it for the glory of God? But it's quite interesting as we move through this Sermon on the Mount, you can see how the tone changes through the sermon. In other words, in chapter 5 leading up to the chapter 6 It's interesting how Jesus is referring to the religious leaders. In fact, he calls them hypocrites. But now in chapter 6, what we've read today, Jesus lays off referencing everybody else, and he now brings it to personal application. Every good sermon, every good Bible lesson... We'll teach the doctrine and share with you the things you must know, but then we'll bring it down to real-life application. And that's exactly what Jesus does as He's preaching to the disciples. And I really believe that if we're going to fully understand this message of Jesus, then we need to grasp that verse that I referenced in verse number 33. Notice what it says. Would you read it with me, the first part? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is why I've titled the message, Making God a Priority in Your Life. Because far too many people who get saved and for a little while make a God priority in their life, they begin fading away from that. Kind of reminds me of a preacher one day who was vacationing in the city of Atlanta And he was looking for a place to eat, and he scrolled through, and he found a place that was referred to as the Church of God Grill. He thought, well, this is interesting. He's a preacher. And so he called up to find out what it was all about. And sure enough, on the other line was, hello, Church of God Grill. He said, I'm a preacher from out of town. He says, I'm really curious how you got your name. He said, well, I'll tell you, he said there was a little mission that was started in a certain part of Atlanta, and we needed some fundraising, and so we began selling chicken dinners after church. Those chicken dinners were well-received by the community. In fact, it was so well-received that we started cutting back on some of our church services. And after a while, we closed down the mission, and now all we do is sell chicken dinners. How sad. How sad. But yet, that's what we do as far as priorities. We may prioritize like this man. There was a group of people out hunting one day, and they were in groups of two. And as they were coming back at the end of the day, back to their encampment, they noticed that this one man was by himself, lugging a huge deer with him over his shoulder. They said, where's Harry? He said, oh, I left him back there about a mile or two. He had a stroke. They said, a stroke, you left Harry back there? He said, I knew that they wouldn't steal Harry if I left him there instead of the deer. Prioritizing, you know? We all do it. We all prioritize. And what I want you to notice here today is that Jesus brings this sermon down to an application to let us see that it is imperative, that it is important that we prioritize things in our life. We have a lot of things bombarding us today. A lot of concerns that come through in our life, but it is imperative that we seek first, as a priority, the kingdom of God. Notice here, number one, I've got two major points in this passage. If God is a priority in my life, then I'm going to have to have the right perspective on wealth. The first part of this section that we've read, verses 19 through 24, actually deal with the subject of our wealth. Now, I know when I begin talking about wealth or money, people say, Preacher, quit meddling. No, I'm telling you what, this is Jesus' servant. Jesus spoke about this here today, and he wants us to understand the perspective that we ought to have concerning wealth. And it's important for us to understand when we get into the subject of wealth or money, Jesus is not saying that you cannot be wealthy or you can't have anything. Really what Jesus is driving at is not whether you have it or whether you have a lot of it. He is getting after your attitude with what you have. You see, when you scour the pages of Scripture, you'll find that wealth or money is not the issue. It is the attitude that we have towards it. For instance, a lot of people look at the verse of 1 Timothy 6.10 and they'll misapply or misread that verse. The verse in 1 Timothy 6.10 actually says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. But you know how most people will say it? Well, the money is the root of all evil. They'll think to themselves, well, you can't have any money. You can't be rich. You can't have all these type of things. Jesus is saying it's not money that's the issue. It is the love of money. In fact, again, as you scour through Scripture, you'll see that there's a lot of people in the Scriptures who had money and used it wisely. Job was a man of great riches. Abraham, David, just to name a few. In fact, in the days of Jesus, as we're talking about in Matthew here, there were some women who were very financially wealthy and helped support the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we would do well to name people like Joseph of Arimathea, people like Nicodemus. So again, Jesus is not against wealth. He is getting after the right perspective or the attitude that we have. Now you say, preacher, what should my attitude be? towards wealth. If I'm to have God as a priority in my life, what should my attitude be? I'm glad you asked the question. I'm going to help answer the question by asking, according to this passage, three questions. Question number one, according to verses 19 to 21, where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? Now, notice in verse 19 and 20, he talks about laying up. The words lay up have this idea of storing up or treasuring something for a future reward. Now, again, remember here, Jesus is not against wealth. He's not against the idea of you saving. For instance, the Proverbs tells us that we ought to consider our children and leave an inheritance for them. Now, I know the way some of you are acting, you're spending your children's inheritance, and that's fine. I get it. But the Proverbs talks about savings is important. It is important to lay up for our children and our children's children. And so it's not that you cannot lay up, but again, it's the attitude. And notice here, there are two places where we lay up treasure, and there are two results that come about from that. First of all, you can lay up treasure on earth, or you can lay up treasure in heaven. If you lay up treasure on earth, now, what is a treasure on earth? Well, we already understand from a material standpoint, it's fairly easy to figure out what that is. Money, stocks, houses, property, vehicles. Vehicles. But it might be that there are treasures, not in a substantial way, things that we can hold in our hand, but there may be treasures of the heart. It could be relationships. It could be financial security. It could be our reputation. But whatever he's saying here is this, that if you focus on the treasures that are here of this earth, there is a potential that either moth could get at it, rust, or thieves might break through and steal what he's sharing with us is that the things that we treasure on this earth are not permanent but now laying up treasures in heaven what is that what are the treasures that i lay up in heaven well think with me for just a moment what are the things that are going to last for all eternity The Bible says of itself that it is eternal, it will last forever. So therefore, the word of God that you take in and that you begin applying in your life, that's what you're going to take with you. The souls that you lead to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, those are things that you're going to take with you and last forever. What you and I do for the glory of God is that which is going to last forever. Those are treasures in heaven. In fact, we're reminded in the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ that every born-again believer will stand at. Hallelujah, I'm not standing at the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. That is a judgment for all those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and it is found that their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says that when their name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast in the lake of fire. But there was a day, almost at 18 years old, when John Boucher placed his personal faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins. He was buried and took my sins away. He rose again to show that he had uh, power over death and over sin. And therefore, I latched hold of that and I said, I want that forgiveness of sins. I want that eternal life. And God saved me. And so therefore, I'm not standing before that great white throne judgment, but someday I will stand before a judgment, not to be judged for my sins, but to be judged with what I've done for the Lord Jesus. There are some of you today that are thinking, well, I wonder what I've done for Jesus. I hope you don't have to think a whole lot about that. I hope you can start thinking about the works that you've done, the service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, like last week's sermon, not that you've done those things for your glory, but that you've done them for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So note here, these things are given to us of where we lay up, and there are results for each place you lay up. Now some of you, I know what you're thinking here today. Preacher, I'm involved in laying up things in this world, and I get it. You've got a savings account, and you've made some purchases, and you've got a business, and, and you have certain things going on, but you're doing the best that you can to also lay up for this world. So really, what's Jesus driving at? Well, what's the application for me? Well, that's why he gives verse number 21. Look at verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now again, notice here, Jesus is not against wealth or treasure. He's against wrong priorities. So how do I know if I have the right or wrong priorities? How do I know if I'm laying up too much on one side? Well, people look at verse number 21 and they often misinterpret this verse. They try to look at their treasure and then say, well, that's where my heart is. No, that's the wrong way to look at it. If you want to know what your treasure is, that is, are you accumulating more for this earth or are you accumulating things for the sake of heaven, then I have to ask you, what drives you in this world? Ask yourself this question. What's your passion? What's your driving force? What's the dream that motivates you and keeps you going? Look at your heart and you'll see where the desires are, the things that drive you, and you'll figure out, are you laying up things for this physical world? or Are you laying up for things for the world to come? Now, it's not wrong to own nice things. But I'm going to tell you something here today and mark this down. It's dangerous for those things to own you. It's not about owning things. Do they own you? Let me ask you these questions for just a moment to help you think about where your treasure is. When you need that thing as a major source of happiness, you can figure out which side of the aisle you're placing your treasure. Ask yourself this question. Can you imagine living without it? How about this? Will you get angry if you lose it? Uh, when that possession is the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about at night, can you figure out where your possessions really are? How about this? You can figure out whether it owns you or not, or you own it when you find yourself thinking about it in every spare moment. Or maybe you get upset if someone else touches it or comes near it. Or you plan your whole schedule around it. Or you enjoy that treasure more than family or friends. Or maybe it's something that owns you when worries and concerns about your possessions crowd out the joy in your life. So how do I know if God is a priority in my life, having the right perspective on wealth? The first question I've got to ask is, where is my treasure? Second question, according to verses 20 through two to 23, is this. Where is my focus? What is my focus? Notice this. Jesus uses here in these next two verses... An analogy of the eyes. He uses here this analogy. And the eye, for us personally, uh, is this. Let's get on to the second question here on the screen, if we could, please. Where is my treasure? And the next one is, what is my focus? Think of the eye as the gate to the body. Jesus lets us know that if you and I cannot see... If a person is blind, it's going to change your whole perspective of life. It's almost as if their life is dark. Oh, they may be able to hear, they may be able to feel, but there's a darkness here. And in the Bible days, your eyes were a symbol of understanding. That is, the clarity that you had of thinking, uh, uh, things like that. It talked about uh, awareness, clarity, wisdom. And Jesus is saying here, there's two ways to look at things in this world. If your eye is single, that is, it is there is a, 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 a sense where it is uh, cultivated here, it's a spiritual mind, then you've got your, tre- you've got your mindset on treasures in heaven, and you're going to properly evaluate everything. But if you've got an evil eye, Then that eye is set on the treasures on earth. And for you, there's going to be a cloudiness, a haziness, if you will. Your spiritual vision will be blurred. It will be distorted. Why? Because all you've got is your focus on the things of this world. Can I ask you this question? Where is your focus? Where is your perspective? Third question I want to ask. Who am I serving? Notice here. We've looked at 19 through 21, first question, verses 22 to 23. But now notice verse number 25, no man can serve two masters. And it seems as if Jesus is moving along, he's tightening the grip of his application. He's tightening the grip. All right, where's your treasure? Okay, what's your focus? Now I want you to ask yourself this question, who is it that you're serving? Ultimately, Jesus lets us know it is impossible for you to have two bosses. If you do, there is eventually going to be a contradiction between the two. But he talks about in the end of verse number 25 or verse 24, it's interesting. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what is mammon? Mammon, most of the time people said, well, that's just another word for money. But it's really more than just what you carry in your pocket as far as money. It could be any of those treasures here that you personally are trusting in. So God, God, Jesus is telling us here that you cannot serve God on one side and then say, well, I'm serving this treasure here on earth at the same time. There's going to be a conflict here. And the conflict comes in the word serve. Serve is an action word. Serve is a decision. You either say, yes, sir, I'm going to follow this way, or yes, sir, I'm going to follow this way. But you cannot straddle the fence. You cannot be caught between two things here. We say that we serve God. We like to tell other people, I serve God. I, I follow God with all my life. But then we get ourselves so caught up in the things of this world. And I think when you look at it as this, we often try to make a compromise in this life. But Jesus makes it so clear. You cannot serve God and mammon, sadly. So notice here, this first aspect is, if God is a priority in your life, then you have to have the right perspective of wealth. But now notice in the remaining verses here, verses 25 to the end, You and I must have a right perspective of worry. Notice the focus of this section. The whole focus of these next verses is captured by the words, Take thought, or take no thought. Look at verse number 25, if you will. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought. Look at verse 27. Which of you by taking thought? Verse 28, and why take ye thought? Verse 31, therefore take no thought. Verse 34, it's used two different times. Six times in this section, the focus is in taking thought or taking no thought. Or we could translate it this, this way, worry or the idea of taking no thought, don't worry. You know, worry or anxiety is so pervasive in our culture today. It is said that anxiety disorders affect over 40 million adults today and 7 million kids every year. Now, I'm not saying this to be facetious, and I'm not downplaying any issues, but I hear on a regular basis of kids saying, I'm stressed. I'm talking fourth and fifth graders. I'm stressed. I, know, I didn't know what the word stress was till I got to be an adult. But our kids today are dealing with things today because of the decisions of adults. Because of the ramifications of the consequences of sin. Kids today are dealing with things and sadly many kids are coming through and saying I'm worried about what's going to be going on. Or they use the word stress. There's an anxiety today. Many more millions feel worried or anxious in response to very stressful circumstances or traumatic experiences that they've been through. And if each of you today are honest with yourself, you'd have to admit admit that you're prone to worry from time to time. I mean, I'd have to say that from time to time, I think about things and I worry about certain issues and certain things in my life. But notice here, the thought here, of this aspect of worry, how Jesus addresses it. When Jesus uses the words, take no thought in this passage, he's not saying your material possessions, your material needs are of no matter and you need to quit thinking about that. What Jesus is telling us is this, you need to have the right perspective on it. You need to have the right attitude concerning this. In other words, the cares of this world, what do they do to us? They eat up our time, our energy. And if your attention is constantly given to, oh my, am I going to lose this? Oh my, what's going to happen here? Oh my, I'm concerned about this area. And you're concerned about all of these things. It's going to have a real adverse effect upon you. Do you find yourself worried these days? Are you anxious about your future, your finances, your marital status? Do you find yourself losing sleep because you're concerned about needs that haven't been met? Or desires that are still out there that are unrealized? Or the facets of life that seem out of control? Well, if you're dealing with these things, I want to tell you... Jesus goes on to illustrate to see why we should take no thought or not worry. Notice here what worry does to us. Three things worry does to us from verses 25 to 27. Look at this. First of all, worry keeps our focus primarily on the material. Look at what he says in verse 25. Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now, I rarely meet people that think to themselves, I don't have anything to wear. Most people are concerned here about, should I have blue on today or red on today? Most people that I meet today aren't concerned about where their next meal will come from. All of you seem that you have eaten well. And you fed yourself and you're nourished and strengthened. But Jesus gives these illustrations to not just talk about food or clothing, though that was very perceptive for that day, but for us to think about all of the needs that may come through in our life. And what's sad is we concentrate or focus much more on the material than we do the spiritual. We get caught up in the material aspects that we forget that life is more than those things. I'm glad you got to buy a new outfit maybe this past week. I'm glad you got to a new place to try out for dinner, but I'm going to just tell you something. Whatever it is that you're eating, whatever it is that you're drinking, whatever it is that you're putting on as far as clothes, whatever it is that you're worried about, I'm going to tell you Jesus reminds us that it is more than all those things and how much we ought to lay up those things and have treasure in heaven and think about the spiritual aspect. That's why last week Jesus referenced fasting. Fasting is a way of denying the things of the flesh so we can concentrate on the spiritual. But notice, number two thing, what worry does to us, verse 26, we forget that God does provide for all His creatures. Look at this. Behold the fowls of the air. Have you ever taken time to just watch the birds? How many of you have a bird feeder and you just kind of watch the birds? Or maybe you see various birds come through or various animals and various things. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder where they get all their food? I wonder how they sleep at night. I wonder how they take care of themselves. Let me just tell you something. The reason that you and I ought not to worry about the things of our life, because all of the animals, whether we see them or don't see them, do you know who's in control of all that? God is. And God has taken care of every one of those animals That if we put them all together, it'd be such a monumental task to take care of them. And yet God has dished out and fed them. God has clothed them. God has taken care of every aspect of these animals. Will not God also take care of your needs? Absolutely He will. Notice third thing worry does to us in verse number 27. In other words, if worry grabs us, It'll grab us to this point where we try to control life. Look at the question Jesus asked in this sermon. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? Now, it's possible that the question is asked this way about adding to my height. Or it could be a reference of adding something to my life. But either way, let me ask you a question. Can you cause yourself to grow? The things that you worry about in this life, how many things do you have control over? How many of you have flown in the last year or two? Would you raise your hand? And those of you who raise your hand, how many of you would admit you're a little nervous when that plane's taking off about flying? All right. The rest of you are too chicken to raise your hand because all of us, I think, would admit Has this guy passed all of his safety classes? But I want you to think about this. If you sit in that chair and you worry about whether you'll land after the plane has taken off, what can you really do about it? I mean, if the pilot keeled over, would you know how to get behind the cockpit and and be able to take that plane down? Most of you probably not. But you see, there's a lot of things in this world that we worry over that what Jesus is saying, just like we cannot add to our height or add anything to our life, we have no control over any of that stuff. So why are we consumed with our time and our energy by worrying about it when really we can't do anything about it? But I want you to see the considerations. If you can't do anything about it, who can? Look at verse 28. Why are you taking thought for raiment? Consider the lilies, that is the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't work about growing. They don't sit there and make themselves spin. God's the one that takes care of those flowers. Look at verse number 29. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look, I provided Solomon with all of this wealth. And Solomon, what did he do with everything I gave him? Man, he built a beautiful temple and a beautiful house for himself. He purchased all these wonderful clothes. Got all these wonderful jewels. Put them on his crown. Man, look at Solomon. But what God is saying is, as great as Solomon looks with everything that he had, it's not as good as every one of these flowers that I put in the field. I'll tell you, I'm going to use a little cliche phrase, and I think you ought to think you ought to stop by every once in a while and smell the roses. What do I mean by that? Don't just run off from point A to point B, but stop by as you're passing a beautiful flower garden or a beautiful field and take a look at the flowers and say, God, Put all that together. They didn't concentrate about that rose didn't grow up and go, i got to get stronger here and i got to show myself beautiful in the world. No, God took care of that rose. God caused those trees to grow. God caused that grass to grow. And if God can take care of all those things out in the world, so God can take care of you. Well, today, in this passage of Scripture we've discussed two big problems. The temptation to be concerned and to be consumed by wealth and the temptation to be consumed by worry. But I want you to know there's a way to overcome all that and it's found in the verse I emphasized in the beginning, verse number 33. Let's look at it again. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, And his righteousness. Let me just stop there for a moment. And talk about the word first. Sometimes when we use the word first. We think in the sense of a numerical order. Well I was born first. I got first in line. But that's not the word first here. The word first is just like I used in the title of the sermon. It is a priority. Jesus is not saying to you, get rid of every bit of money you have, sell your property, sell your houses, sell your vehicles, and give all to me. No, no. Jesus understands for us to be in this world, we've got to have some money to sustain ourselves. And we're going to have some possessions. So we will lay up in this world, but and we will lay up treasures for heaven, but the question remains, where is your priority? You know what's happening with most people? They're seeking first this world. You know what God says about this world? What's going to happen to it someday? It's going to be gone. Have you ever seen a hearse taking people's belongings? No. No person, when they die, will ever take any material thing with them to the next world. None of it. Those fancy shirts, blouses you've purchased, ladies. Those countless shoes you have in your closet. Those beautiful cars that you drive around in. That house that you purchased that you're so proud of. Nothing wrong with it, but you're not taking it with you. And far too many people have the priority all caught up in the now and now. And what God is saying is you need to take care of these things. And I'm gonna and Jesus is saying this if you make God a priority, He'll provide what you're lacking. If you make God a priority, Those things on this earth you're worrying about, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. As I close this morning, I'm reminded of a man that I've talked about on a number of occasions before. His name was Charles Thomas Studd. He was referred to as C.T. Studd. He was born in England in 1860, born of a wealthy father who had done his fortune in India. Charles Studd loved sports, just like any young man of his time did, and he had a passion for a sport that most of us are not familiar with. It was a sport of cricket. In fact, as Charles Studd was growing up, his brother, his older brother, was a great cricket player in Cambridge, and so CT decided, that's what I want to do. And he worked at everything. He worked at a swing. He'd stand in front of a mirror and perfect his swing of cricket. And he'd do everything he could to finally, when he got to school and to the college, he entered Trinity College of Cambridge University in 1879. He became a tremendous cricket player. In fact, this may seem a little odd, but he was almost like the Michael Jordan of cricket players in his day. I mean, everybody knew about C.T. Studd. This guy was somebody that was a legend in his time as far as sports. And he got so well known. And he had all of this fortune because of the money that his dad has made. Man, he had everything in this life. But it was 1878, really at the age of 18. And this is what marked the difference in C.T. Studd's life. He and two of his brothers were saved at a particular church meeting, and they gave their life to Christ. But C.T. Studd, though, had uh, started to really think more about this cricket, and though he had committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved, he gave his life for learning cricket and really becoming famous, and that's what he did. But everything changed in his life when one of his brothers grew sick and almost died. And he watched his brother in horror. And he watched the grief of the suffering that his brother went through. And he thought to himself, he said, what is all this popularity? What is all this fortune to George if he dies and can't take any of it with him? And on that particular moment, something changed in C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd went back to school, and he was impacted at a particular revival meeting by a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was preaching and was calling for people and was talking about the great need in China. And C.T. Studd made a decision that day, if the Lord allows me, I'm going to give up everything I'm chasing in this world, and I'm going to be a missionary in China. And as C.T. Studd was preparing, he got seven uh, men together, seven including himself, men who were great sports players, men who were well-known in Cambridge, and they became known as the Cambridge Seven. And they got permission to go through various colleges and talk to the university students and share with them about committing their life to Jesus Christ. There was a number of people that made decisions. C.T. Studd would appeal to them. What are you giving your life for? What is it that is your focus? What is your desire? Are you giving things for this world? Or are you giving it for Jesus Christ? C.T. Studd, when he got married, he had all this fortune and he had given most of it away except 3,400 pounds. We're talking England here and 1885, if you were to do the math of 3,400 pounds, it'd probably be equivalent somewhere of $60,000. But he reserved that for himself, and his wife reminded him that there was a man in the Bible who had given away all, and she said, Honey, and this was a decision they made for themselves. She said, if we're going to serve God and not rely upon anything in this world, we need to give it all away, and they did. God used them. For 71 years of his life, C.T. Studd gave his life for Jesus in China and parts of Africa. And I believe it can be summarized in his life. There was a poem that he wrote, and I give you this one line that maybe you've heard before. But I want you to take this line and I want you to think about it. Here's what C.T. Studd, who had all the fame of this world, had all the fortune but that wasn't his focus. It was to serve Jesus. He said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Listen to it again. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Shall we pray together? Oh, Father in heaven, we recognize the value and the importance of this time now to come. We've heard your word. Challenges have been given. And I pray that we might heed the call in our life. Today, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm talking to young adults today. There are some young adults in this room who are giving their all for this world. When life is over, if you don't change your tune, you'll find out that it'll all be gone. There are some adults in this room who are working, who are chasing after their dreams in this world, They're laying up treasure upon earth and they're finding that the moth and rust and corrupt and all all corruption is coming through and is taking those things away. I want to encourage you today, whether you're a young adult, working right now, in retirement, wherever you may be right now in your stage of life, would you consider today making God a priority? Making God a priority. Making God a priority in your wealth. Making God a priority when it comes to the things that you worry about. Today, it's a simple decision. You say, well, preacher, I, 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 I believe I've been chasing more of the things of this world. And I really, I've rationalized things. I've justified my life. And you can do that all you want. But I want to encourage you today to make a simple decision. And that's all it is today. Could you make God, would you make God a priority in your life? If you've been here long enough, you know that we have an invitation. It's a time we invite you to make a decision. Honestly, I've spoken about it in a lot of areas, but it's a very general message. But I trust that right now, as I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is actually pinpointing some areas in your life. And I want to encourage you, To make a decision based upon what God's calling you to do. Would you come at the invitation and yield yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to make you a priority in my life. I want my focus right. I want to make sure I'm laying up more treasure in heaven. I want to make sure that I'm not serving, uh, 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 that I'm caught up in serving God in this world, but I'm truly serving God. And we need Christians all over at this invitation time, to come and to make a decision at this altar and to say, Lord, I commit myself to You. You say, Preacher, what do I do? I'm compelled to come. Well, you could come and kneel right at the front stairs. You could stand right at the front. You could go ahead and sit on the front row. But I want to encourage you to make a public decision, if you will, between you and God, that you're going to go ahead and commit to Him and make Him a priority in your life.